the people are headed from Sinai to Canaan. But hope soon turns to fear as the spies return from viewing the land. Our review of the books of Moses continues on The Bible Brief. Did you know that The Bible Brief is a listener-supported show? Consider becoming a monthly supporter at our link in the show notes. God has made His covenant with the people of Israel. The Sinai covenant would require obedience to the law of God, and in return God would bless the people in the land of Canaan. The tabernacle has been constructed, and the glory of the Lord has filled the tent in which He will dwell in the midst of His people Israel. The nation of disorder that left Egypt in a hurry is now a nation of order, with laws from God and a system of worship to temporarily atone for their sins as they maintain a relationship with Yahweh. God is in their midst, and God is the strength of the nation. Soon they leave Sinai and begin to head to Canaan. On the road, however, their complaining begins in earnest. Just three days into their journey, they begin complaining again, and they quickly begin murmuring about the manna that God had miraculously given them for over a year now. They say, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic? But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. For their ungrateful attitude and their craving, Moses begins to despair himself. He complains to God about the weight of carrying the nation. But God responds graciously by providing 70 additional leaders to help Moses. God fills these leaders with the Spirit, and they show their new power through prophesying. Joshua sees two of them prophesying in the camp among the people of Israel and tells Moses to stop them. But Moses says, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Moses sees the benefit of God's Spirit empowering all the people, and he speaks perhaps unknowingly of a future in which God indeed does pour out His Spirit on all His people. After this event, God sends the people meat, lots of quail, followed by a plague on the camp. He would give them the meat they so desperately craved, but he would also give them the judgment deserved for their complaints. After these continuing complaints, the people arrive at the border of Canaan, at Kadesh, and from Kadesh they send twelve spies into the land. The spies are to go through the whole land, to see the land that God has described as one flowing with milk and honey. After forty days in the land, they return with a large cluster of grapes that requires two men to carry it, demonstrating the amazing fruitfulness of the land. But ten of the spies also return with discouraging words. They say that the people in the land are very strong giants. They live in fortified cities, among land that devours its inhabitants. The ten spies instill fear into the camp of Israel. But the two remaining spies, Joshua and Caleb, try to encourage the people and say this, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the people reply to this encouragement, not with words, but by grabbing stones to stone the two faithful spies along with Moses and Aaron. 
Yahweh, however, appears in the camp and stops the people from killing their leaders. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people again, and the Lord relents from bringing total destruction upon them. Instead, his penalty is this. All of the generation who rejected going into the land of Canaan will die in the wilderness. Everyone twenty years old and upward will die in the wilderness before their children will enter the land. For their disobedience, they won't enter the land flowing with milk and honey. Only the two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, will be permitted to enter the land with the next generation. The final rebellion of this older generation is led by a man named Korah, who attempts to usurp the priesthood that had been granted by Yahweh to Aaron and his sons. He argues that all of Israel is holy and should be able to conduct the priestly duties. But this rebellion is quickly stifled as God opens up the earth to devour the rebels. God means what God says, and the priesthood is reserved to Aaron and his sons. Soon after this event, the Bible fast-forwards to near the end of the 40 years that the nation spends in the wilderness. Almost all of the prior generation is dead, and the next generation is encamped at Kadesh at the edge of the land of Canaan. Soon they come to a problem, just like the prior generation experienced. There is no water for the people. And the people have a choice. They can choose to complain like their fathers, or they can come to God in faith that He will provide for their needs. Sadly, they choose the path of their fathers and complain to God, who grants them water from a rock. He tells Moses to command the rock to yield its water. But Moses, with Aaron, angrily and sarcastically rebukes the people and strikes the rock twice, rather than following God's command. Despite their leadership of the congregation for nearly 40 years, both men receive judgments for dishonoring God in front of the people. God says this, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. This place is memorialized with the same name as the place where God gave water from a rock to their parents' generation. It was called Meribah, meaning quarreling, because they are the people quarreled with the Lord. After this sad event at Meribah, the people begin to get a taste of the opposition that they will encounter in Canaan. They request passage through the land of Edom, but are quickly and aggressively given rejection. And soon after defeating a Canaanite king who attempts to ambush the traveling nation, Israel begins its trek around the southeast part of the land, on the way to the eastern border, where the nation will enter the land. However, on the way there they complain again, and this time it's about food. In fact, they call the manna that God has provided worthless food. Angry with the people, Yahweh sends fiery serpents among them. Yet he provides a way of healing. He instructs Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and hold it up on a pole. Everyone who looks at the serpent is healed from their venomous serpent bites. Soon they are off again, headed to the eastern border of Canaan. But they are met with aggressive resistance yet again. Soon they battle the Amorites before battling the forces of Bashan. But Yahweh continues to be the strength of the people in battle. These resisting armies are soundly defeated by the nation of Israel. After these battles, the people are finally able to encamp in the valley of an area called Moab, their final destination before entering the land of Canaan. But this destination has its own share of troubles. 
the kingdoms of Moab and Midian form an alliance against this nation camping in the plain. And soon, Balak, the king of Moab, hires a pagan prophet to come and curse Israel. Balaam comes from another land, but not before Yahweh confronts the pagan prophet through a talking donkey and the angel of the Lord. Yahweh demands that Balaam only speak the words that he gives him to say. Atop several mountains surrounding the Israelite camp, Balaam attempts to curse Israel, but Yahweh keeps him from doing so each time. Instead, he blesses Israel, and in his final prophecies, tells of the coming king out of Israel who will defeat all his enemies and carry the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. But after these blessings are pronounced by the pagan prophet due to Yahweh's influence over him, Balaam tries to harm Israel in a different way. He proceeds to advise the women of Midian and Moab to induce the Israelites to sin. Sadly, the women succeed, and Israel begins worshiping and sacrificing to their false god called Baal. It's in the midst of this rebellion that Phinehas, the grandson of the recently deceased Aaron, vindicates the worship of Yahweh and turns away the wrath of God by carrying out a death judgment on a flagrant violator of God's law. Soon, Phinehas helps lead an army from Israel to decimate the people of Midian for their sin against God's people. Balaam, the pagan prophet, is killed in this battle. After the defeat of the Midianites, the people turn their focus toward entering the promised land of Canaan. Yet a few of the tribes ask Moses to inherit the land around where they're currently dwelling. After initially resisting, Moses agrees to their plan, but only if they help the rest of Israel fight to take Canaan. Only after that can they return to their inheritance outside the land. Finally, Moses has one last speech to give the people, a speech largely encompassing the book of Deuteronomy. In this speech, Moses tells the people of a prophet who is to come, a prophet like Moses, with the words of God in his mouth, to whom Israel should listen, lest they be judged by God for ignoring this prophet. Moses also explains that the people need to love Yahweh with all their hearts, follow the law that God has given them, and take the land of Canaan by driving out its inhabitants. Yet Moses understands that these people need circumcised hearts to truly follow God. They need to be changed from the inside out and not be stiff-necked like the generation before them. Moses emphasizes the need for the people to put off their stubbornness and put on faith in God. If they enter the land and faithfully follow the law that God gave them, they will have unfathomable blessings in the land. All will go well with them. They will have abundant food, water, and offspring, and they will be at the head of all the nations of the world. However, if they disobey the law, they will be cursed above all nations. They will be driven from the land, and they will be a despised people. Sadly, Moses says that they will indeed be driven from the land. They will experience the curses because they will not follow the law when they come into Canaan. Instead, the blessings of the land will make them complacent, and they will turn away from Yahweh to worship other gods. But that's not the end of the story for Israel. After they have been cast out of the land by God, He will yet have compassion on them when they turn to Him, and He will bring them back to the land. Yahweh will circumcise their hearts so that they can obey the law and love God wholeheartedly. Finally, Moses ends his speech, encouraging and blessing the people. He tells them to be strong and courageous as he hands off the authority of leadership to Joshua, one of the two faithful spies. Joshua 
will lead the people as they conquer the land of Canaan. Moses then goes up and dies on the top of a mountain, overlooking the land of Canaan that he's unable to enter because of his unbelief at Meribah. The great prophet of Israel has died at the age of 120. The older generation has completely passed away. Now there's nothing keeping Israel from entering the land. The books of Moses conclude, looking forward to life in the land of Canaan. Join us next time as we take these people, places, and events and begin to see how these stories contribute to the larger story of the Bible. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023